Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie DeBeau, and I'm so excited that you have decided to join us for another episode of Essential Wisdom. Today, help me welcome Dr. Carolyn Ho. Dr. Ho is the medical director of the Cardiovascular Genetic Center at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. She is an associate physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital and an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Ho completed her undergraduate education at Yale University and went on to complete medical school at Harvard Medical School. She trained in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital, completing her fellowship in cardiology and cardiovascular disease at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Her research and clinical interest is in the diagnosis and management of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Dr. Ho, welcome to the show. So the way that I like to start with uh, each interview is to ask you to tell us about your path to becoming a female physician. You know, honestly, I don't really remember that that much. I feel like I wasn't super creative when I was younger, and there weren't a lot of career choices that I could, you know, easily envision for myself. Um, and it really fell along the lines of, you know, really liking biology um, and uh, being interested in how that might apply to um, improving um, the human experience and the health of our population. So I think that that's kind of how I started tracking along the lines of um, thinking about medicine for a career. Was that something that you were interested in at a young age or did it become a part of your life in college and beyond? It was probably um, growing up. I, you know, I, I feel like in, in high school or maybe even be before high school, um, but, you know, that seemed like something I would be interested in and that, um, But, you know, I wasn't from a family that had any physicians in it, so I really had no idea what it meant to be a physician um, or, you know, what that life looked like. It was just, you know, one of those, um, oh, you know, maybe I'll be a teacher, maybe I'll be a lawyer, maybe I'll be a doctor, you know, you know, just um, in some ways it was just, you know, for lack of um, of really knowing what else there was in, in, in the big world um, that was possible. Um, but really, you know, I, I always love science and particularly biology. So I think that that's um, why I, why the, the gravitational pull stuck to, to mm-hmm. uh, pursue medicine. Uh, but certainly I entered into college thinking that I was likely going to be pursuing medicine. Was there somebody that was influential in your choice to do that or to mentor you along that route? Probably not before um, medical school or residency. Um, okay. You know, my father actually is a is a staunch uh, basic scientist. He's a biophysicist. Okay. Um, and and he, I remember when I told him I was 
applying in medical school and even when I got into um, Harvard Medical School, he, he kind of like shrugged and says, you know, I really don't understand why you're going to waste your time being a healer. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Did his did his experience as a scientist really influence your interest in research science? It did because you know I, I love the idea of you know, trying to be the you know to, to trying to understand what the big questions are and then trying to figure out how to start to answer them. So you know that path of of questioning and discovery has always been something that has been really intriguing to me. Absolutely. And then obviously has made a huge influence on how you've chosen to take your professional career. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I love most about uh, my current career is that it's, um, you know, it's really diverse. And I I feel like, you know, I wouldn't, um, uh, you know, necessarily be the best version of myself if I was, you know, just focusing on uh, clinical medicine um, all the time. And I, you know, probably wouldn't be as, um, uh, as, uh, in touch as a researcher, for I focus just on research. Um, so having you know a little bit of a hand in each camp, um, you know I think um, for me has been really rewarding. You know, really taking care of patients and families, and um, to understand really what they're struggling with and what would be the most impactful, and then you know trying to follow up with research that um, helps get us closer to the goal line of um, you know, really improving. Um, their experience and improving our approach to disease. Would you mind sharing a little bit about what your typical, I don't know, week or at least day looks like just for people who aren't necessarily as accustomed to understanding the academic setting? Yeah. yeah so I, um, you know, I do clinical research based in, in um, human populations. There's uh, uh, small groups of, of uh, patients that we really go at um, in great detail in terms of understanding their genetics and, and doing lots of different, um, mostly, you know, imaging and other biomarker testing to try to understand their underlying biology. And also working with larger data sets that we have available to us now, we've been able to um, form a really wonderful, um, large collaborative um, registry um, um, uh, of uh patients with HCM that are cared for by other you know, like-minded um, clinical investigators. And now we have you know, thousands of patients with this relatively rare disease that we're able to study to better understand natural history. Um, so I don't have a wet lab or a bench laboratory. My research is um, conducted um, on a computer and on conference calls and, um, and, and, um, uh, and looking at um, patient studies. Um, and you know, I break up my time. It's, most, it's about 50-50 um, research versus um, clinical. Um, so, um, you know, and it roughly ends up being that way, um, during the week. So half the time I'll be either, uh, reading clinical echo studies or seeing patients in, um, in my ambulatory, um, cardiovascular genetics clinic. And uh, the other half of the time I'll be trying to keep the ball moving forward, um, with the research. Mm-hmm. Thank you for explaining all that. I think for a lot of people who are anticipating their choices in, community or academics or all these different settings, it's hard to imagine what it might look like to actually do that. So that's very helpful. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, you know, you, uh, you know, you can forge your own path. It really depends on what type of arrangement you can make with your institution, what you can do to really just, you know, cover your salary at a basic level, you know, can, you know, and, um, between the clinical revenue that you generate doing clinical work and, um, research funding that you, that you are able to receive. Absolutely. Uh, when you first began 
in the cardiovascular genetics world. What did that look like for you? Were you um, a member of a lab or how did that become a part of your practice? Yeah, so I, one of the greatest um, uh, people in my life has been uh, my mentor, uh, Cricket Seidman, Christine Seidman. So mm-hmm. Cricket is, um, you know, she and her husband, John, are these brilliant um, uh, scientists that basically founded the field of cardiovascular genetics. And uh, Cricket is a cardiologist, but she spends most of her time um, in the basic science research laboratory, um, you know, making all sorts of important discoveries about um, the underlying <laughs> genetics and biology of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, and so she's, you know, always been um, somebody that has helped to encourage me to be more fearless and to really, you know, go after what I was interested in, regardless of what you know, naysayers may be telling you, um, you know, it may or may not be possible. Um, and so, you know, that's, um, you know, so, her, you know, her words and her, enthousi- and her enthusiasm and her support have really been a huge influence for me. And so it, um, when I was a senior resident, um, we actually had, were able to carve out six months that was um, really pretty well dedicated to research. Um, uh, so I was in their lab at that time, um, uh, because I was trying to decide whether I was going to be a bench researcher or more of a clinical researcher. My, all my background up until that point had been um, with uh, laboratory bench research. Um, but I, you know, I, I came to realize that um, at that point um, um, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, um, in order to be a really serious, basic um, human genetics researcher, you really had to uh, dive into mouse models of disease. Um, Sadly for me, I am completely phobic of mice or any kind of furring <laughs> rodent. And, you know, Cricket had these grand ideas that I would be the mouse echocardiographer and, you know, um, you know and do a lot to help phenotype um, and, and study their mouse models. But I really just couldn't be in the same room as a mouse, um, let alone touch a mouse or kill a mouse. Because, I, you know, I like animals. I don't want anything <laughs> terrible to happen to them. Um, so at that point, I, you know, um, you know, and throughout fellowship, I, you know, I started to pivot more towards uh, clinical research. That's really interesting. Um, I didn't know any of that. So I love to hear that story <laughs> and, and understand a little bit more of that. Uh, the path to how you hone in on like one research interest has always amazed me. <laughs> and now, of course, there are all these, you know, great things that you can do with uh, IPS cells and all that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, you know, involve touching a mouse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You have to like follow what's available at the time. <laughs> Yeah, and that's something that makes the experience of choosing research also, I feel, so interesting because as we adapt all the new technologies we have, like, oh my gosh, how much is it going to change even over the next 10 years? Exactly. And, you know, just being ready to kind of, you know, uh, keep an open mind to, you know, redirect as, as necessary, I think, is one of the key things to, to being a, a successful uh, investigator. Mm, absolutely. And so cool that um, Cricket was also a female mentor to you at the time. I'd be curious to hear how many experiences you've had with female mentors versus male mentors and how that's looked as a part of your training. Yeah. So Cricket has been my main um, uh, academic mentor, I would say. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, and it's been really great because, um, you know, I think you know, watching her navigate, you know, what is really still a, a male-dominated field has been really instructive uh, to me um, in, in terms of, you know, trying to figure out how to um, you know, 
work the dynamics um, and um, you know and to interact with with um, with other colleagues. Um, um, you know, she's also an incredibly poised and elo eloquent speaker and uh, a writer, and so you know, so all, all of that has just been incredibly helpful. And you know, she, and she really is fearless. You know, she she goes after what she thinks is important. Um, uh, and you know, and um, despite you know what seem to be like fairly substantial obstacles, so that has also. I am not, um, I think, naturally a fearless person. <laughs> I tend to be kind of timid and conservative. Um, so you know, having somebody you know kind of you know saying that in my ear over and over again, I think is uh, really helpful. And in fact, you know, I, the first time I met Cricket was when I was still in medical school. Um, uh, uh, they had this really interesting um, uh, curriculum uh, during our genetics block for uh, people that had, um, you know, majored in biology or genetics or biochemistry in college um, and you know so already had like the basics under their belt they uh, kind of reached around to the um, the Harvard community and just brought in all the luminaries um, of, of uh, human genetics at the time to give lectures um, and so it was amazing um, and Cricket was one of those lecturers and I remember um, her telling us you know exactly that you know you just have to you know f um, follow your goals and follow your interests. People were telling her that she shouldn't go into cardiology because she was a woman and she shouldn't uh, try to be a basic scientist in cardiology. And, you know, she, um, and she just really encouraged us to, uh, you know, really um, understand what we, you know, what we thought would be most interesting and most fulfilling. And then, you know, uh, just um, be, trusting that um, you would be able to blaze a path to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my other most influential mentor um, um, is a cardiologist at the VA hospital, uh, the West Rockbury VA hospital, um, uh, Tom Rocco, uh, who is just, you know, is in kind of a tough, uh, no-nonsense kind of person, but, you know, just had an amazing ability to really um, uh, understand, you know, what might be going on with people to, and to, you know, and to like help people that were, you know, kind of um, uh, floundering and, you know, like a wash and indecision. Um, so he, there were, uh, you know, a group of us that he helped to rescue during um, the time that I was a fellow and a, and a junior faculty. And he just, you know, has, you know, just really thoughtful, insightful um, advice and, you know, in a way to help you, you know, sort out um, all sorts of things that you might have been wrestling with. And I remember, um, when I was applying for fellowship at the end of, you know, when I was a junior resident, um, I actually thought I wanted to go into oncology um, because I had this really great experience um, um, in medical school where I took a year doing research um, in, in a lab and uh, my, my mentor there was you know, brilliant and charismatic and just fantastic all around. I thought, you know, he gave me a great project and um, it was just an amazing experience. I thought, okay, this is it. You know, I'm going to, um, I go into oncology, I'm going to work with Gary, and we're going to cure leukemia. Um, and that was the plan. Um, and then I did all my oncology blocks in residency, and I really didn't like them. Um, um, but, you know, it was a plan that I was going to be an oncologist. So I, I met with Tom um, to ask him to write a letter of recommendation uh, for me. And I told him the plan. I was like, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I, I really kind of hate oncology, but, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is a plan. And he just said, <laughs> you know, you know, um, do 
you know, just stop. You hear what you're saying? Like, why on earth would you, why on earth do you think that that would be the right thing to do? Um, you know, what do you actually like to do? And I said, I like cardiology. He's like, well, why don't you be a cardiologist? And I was like, because that's not the plan, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and he said, you know, you people always think that you need to have a five-year plan or a 10-year plan and, you know, and, you know, and somehow it's all going to work out. And he's like, this is what you do. Um, every time you're um, faced with a big decision, you try, you think, what would make me happier? And you choose that. And if you keep doing that, then you'll probably end up okay. Um, you know, there are so many barriers in the way to, you know, to fully realizing your five-year plan and 10-year plan that you, you, you know, that's just not a, uh, you know, oftentimes a feasible way to go about things. But, you know, um, his, his advice has always just really resonated with me. Yeah. I feel like that also echoes the same idea of not being afraid. I mean, it's very, like, that's a moment where you might feel very fearful to change the plan that should have been the plan. <laughs> Exactly. Right. But of course, you know, I have to take baby steps into everything. So I ended up applying in both oncology and cardiology. Oh, really? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then at the very end, I dropped oncology. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. how much everything would have been different if you chosen to do oncology? In terms of how you wound up being drawn to cardiology, then will you talk about some of your interests in cardiology and what you really enjoy about this specialty? Um, I, I really love the physiology and the pathophysiology and cardiology because, you know, you, you know, the, you, you feel like, you know, I've, I think oftentimes we're fooling ourselves, but, you know, at, at the, at a base level, you can oftentimes feel like you can understand, you know, what's going wrong with the heart and how you, you know, you know, what might be necessary in order to help it. And sometimes we can help it and sometimes we can't, but, you know, that logic of like trying to puzzle out, you know, what's going on. And then, you know, what are the steps we can um, take to get things um, back on track? Um, um, I really loved about cardiology. And then seeing it play out in real time. You know, somebody would come in with advanced heart failure and you would rebalance their uh, medical therapy and you could see them get better. So that was always incredibly um, gratifying to me. Absolutely. In your experience of choosing cardiology and especially academic cardiology, have there been any challenges that you would specifically relate to being a female in the field? I don't recall any um, major obstacles getting into the field um, because of being female. You know, I think that there's still a bit of a um, old boys club um, uh, to some extent. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to wrap your hands around. Um, I think it's not, um, you know, people aren't going to have the same experience at uh, different institutions. So it's hard to generalize about it. I, I do feel like, you know, there is more um, interest in, um, uh, you know, leveling the playing field. Um, and I think that, you know, hopefully with your generation and, you know, those who follow, um, just by sheer mass effect, things will be more, more balanced, you know, with, uh, with, um, at least um, half, if and sometimes more, um, medical school um, students um, being female. I think that you know, unfortunately, we're going to have to wait a bit for that wave to hit. But you know, it's going to um, look different um, down the road than it than it has historically. Yeah, absolutely. It will be interesting to see how that changes. Definitely, as our percentages hit the place where we're actually applying exactly. to fellowships and specialties. Yep. Yeah. What is what is one of the greatest joys that you have? Um, doing your field of work? Um, I think that um, the, it's really um, 
working with my colleagues um, that has been the most satisfying things you know you know colleagues across uh, the board so um, my immediate you know partners and um, uh, and collaborators here um, at the Brigham are amazing um, uh, in my uh, colleagues and collaborators in this larger um, you know in these larger multi-center uh, studies that we've been um, helping lead have also been like incredible um, you know um, and you know, having this rich pool of um, students and trainees that come up, um, you know, um, and just wow us, you know, you know, every year, um, I, you know, I think have been absolutely the most um, uh, enjoyable and satisfying parts of my life, just feeling like I'm surrounded by really smart, really good people who are, you know, you know, are, are my people. Like we all, we think that same things are important. We're, at, you know, in it to, to win it and to try to figure out what's going on and to, to try to advance the field. So that's been really a lot of fun. Do you think that that very academic, very teen centered environment is really specific to academic medicine and big medical centers in general? I think um, it's about finding the right fit of people. Okay. I've been trying to think about this a lot. And I've like, you know, I, I tried it very hard um, to set, you know, a particular tone um, in the, uh, you know, in the groups that I work with. And you can tell me how successful it's been or not been. <laughs> I have a better uh, perspective on this. But, you know, I, you know, I really try to foster a very collaborative environment where everybody feels like they're um, being taken seriously. Everybody feels like they're an important, um, you know, they're contributing importantly to the team um, and everybody's really invested in trying to and engage in trying to um, get things moving forward rather than, you know, being very top heavy, you know, and not um, very um, collaborative. You know, for, for me, it just, you know, fits better with my personality. And I think, um, you know, what I really love is when people are just really excited about what we're doing um, and trying to get, you know, you know, to drive their excitement. I absolutely think that that is the case at cardiovascular genetics at the Brigham. Just, I mean, in my experience being with you guys. So um, I like, for example, the cardiovascular meetings on Mondays in the, uh, at noon time. I, the first time I went to those, I, first I was just floored that so many brilliant people were all talking at the same time about <laughs> these really important and interesting topics. I was like amazed that I was listening to these. <laughs> but then also that you actually, as you would have, I mean, there would be what, at least two or three younger people that are my age around student time around the table. And that was so amazing to be invited into that atmosphere. And then to actually feel like if I were to speak up or have something to say, you know, that would be a part of the conversation. And I think that collaboration and that teamwork like really made an impression on me and my interest in academics. Um, mm -hmm. That to say that that could actually be real, you know, and that we could all share our conversations in a way that's not only academically interesting, but that everyone was genuinely really excited to talk about these topics. That I mean, that made a huge, huge impact on me. So I think it's just very important. And that's why I asked you if you thought that that was really particular to these kinds of settings, because it's yeah. something I'm attracted to in my desires for, you know, my career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, you will be that type of person, too. In general, women are better at that style than men are, you know. So. In your experience, then, balancing, I guess, quote, balance, because I'm not sure that balance is a very good word to use yeah. these days, because it's quite challenging to define. But in yeah. your experience of balancing priorities in your life between family and work and clinical time, uh, how do you set your priorities? Is it something that's very intentional? Or it, does it just change over time, depending on what you're facing in life? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, you know, for me, you know, being a little bit more fluid um, has worked. You know, I tend to, you know, or, you know, trying to counteract my tendencies to be very rigid and locked in and, you know, like, you know pursue things that, you know, just don't feel right you know, because that was what I was supposed to do. So I, I think that what actually is more successful is like realizing, you know, that things are going to change over time and you, you have to adapt. Um, to the changing times or else, um, you know, it's going to be a constant battle. And I think you're totally right. Like balance is, uh, you know, is, you know, something that we can strive for. And I, and I think that balance is something that we can strive for. Whereas having it all, I think is, um, a painful and, um, destructive myth. Um, where, because you can't have it all. I mean, you can't do everything. You know, you're only one person. There are only so many hours in a day. Um, and, um, you know, and the idea of being able to, like, you know, um, just, you know, leave no prisoners in, in every sphere of your life, I think, is um, something that has made a lot of people really crazy um, and or feel terrible about themselves that they somehow aren't achieving and, you know, everybody else is. Because I think it's just a myth. Um, and so um, I think you're, you're exactly right that, you know, just trying to define the priorities that are most important to you and, you know, and the different aspects of your life and for your career, um, um, for your family, for yourself. Um, and then just figure out, you know, what's going to take precedence and, you know, how you're going to um, allocate your time. I think that's, um, uh, incredibly tricky, but, you know, just like every so often just checking in and saying, you know, what is really the most important thing, uh, to me? Um, and how am I doing on that? And, you know, every so often something's going to have to suffer a little bit. Um, but, you know, as long as it's kind of in line with, um, you know, the, your overall feelings about what's important, I think um, that's, a, that's the thing else you have to recognize. Um, you know, and, you know, things are going to kind of leapfrog each, each other and kind of um, wax and wane in terms of um, uh, how much attention you're paying to them and how much you're ignoring them. Um, and, you know, but just trying to um, keep some kind of, um, equity um across everything uh you know you know can be something that we can actually feasibly uh, look for and being honest with yourself because i think that's the part of the problem like you know a lot of times we're we're driven by you know different pressures either by from our mentors or you know um our parents or our you know or, you know what we've somehow told ourselves that you know um this is what is going to make uh, me a, an important or successful person, but, you know, sometimes that may not be right, you know, um, and trying to force yourself into a pathway that just doesn't feel right to you um, is um, you know, something else that I think that it takes a while to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we can, in a way, in our education, promote learning to live that way um, during medical school and college, or is it something that really requires like life experience and all of that? I think, yeah, I think it's a combination. I think that, you know, trying to become a little bit aware of it, but I think, you know, um, you know, it's hard to predict what you, what's going to make you happy and what's going to be important to you down the road. Um, you know, when you don't have, you know, when you're kind of, um, you know, a trailblazer on your own, you know, without, um, you know, um, major relationships in your life, then it's fine to be just, you know, kind of super focused on your, on your academics and on your, um, on your job. Um, and that's okay. You know, you know, that, that fits a little bit better, but you know, as things change and as life changes and as you, as, as new and different responsibilities, um, are acquired, then, um, it's important to kind of rebalance things, um, you know, and, and figure out, you know, 
what you can, um, you know, with your with your home life, what you can outsource and outsource as much as you can, um, and you know, and really save your energy and your time for the things that matter. If you had any resource available to you that would make things just a little bit easier, or that you wish you had, what do you think that would be? <laughs> it can be abstract. Some people say time around, doing all sorts of you know all the busy work, um, both like the professional busy work and the home busy work. You know. <laughs> would be awesome. <laughs> I know. It's just more manpower, right? Like right. More manpower. Exactly. Many yeah. things at once. Or, you know, somebody else that I can say, okay, take care of all this stuff. You know, that this doesn't need, a, you know, physician level attention. Somebody else just take care of it. That's a great point. Like anything that can make the flow of the day be simpler. Right. right? That's a great point. In terms of challenges or just pivotal moments that you've faced in your path. Um, have there been any that have really made a, a big difference in, in your story? Um, you know, professionally, you know, I think, you know, I feel like I've been kind of chugging along relatively steadily at different speeds, <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, just, you know, with a lot of help and support and guidance, you know, trying to, you know, blaze a path. And then, you know, um, it's, you know, just, and, and I guess, you know, another thing I would encourage people to do, this is not actually answering a question, but another thing that I would encourage people to do, which I feel like, you know, women are perhaps not as, um, uh, you know, kind of naturally like inclined to do is, is the whole networking aspect of, of medicine and, and academics and just, you know, kind of getting out there and getting to know the people in your field. Um, and for me, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a party person. I don't like to socialize, you know, um, I'm not good at small talk, um, um, but just, you know, going to meetings, you know, you know, tr you know, trying to get your um, research presented and talking to other people has been incredibly, um, uh, you know, has been incredibly uh, rewarding because um, I've made a lot of friends, like, you know, people have become like really good personal friends. Um, I've established a lot of collaborations and all, you know, just by kind of, um, you know, finding your people out in the world. Um, so I think that that, um, is is really important. It's something that um, that you know. I think um, young women particularly need to kind of um, you know push themselves to do, um, even if it's um, you know if it doesn't seem like a lot of fun. Um, and um, and you know, just personally, you know, as you know, my my husband died a couple of years ago, and that has been a whole new um, uh, you know set of challenges and setting and time when I just really was able to understand what's important in life um, uh, so clearly um, uh, and you know I'm just trying to figure out what's going to what's going to happen and you know is one um, academic based um, career going to be okay um, you know to you know for me and my son um, you know, I don't know it's you know academics is is great for so many reasons but it's um, it's uh, nerve-wracking and that you always have to get some type of funding um, and funding is hard to get these days. And, um, you know, just whether that's um, going to be the best plan, um, uh, you know, indefinitely, or if there's other things that, that I'm going to need to consider. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole nother element to, um, I would say choosing the setting in which you work in, right? Like the uncertainty versus certainty and how you will be able to support your choices and your family's right. choices. Right. Right. 
and recognizing that nothing's forever, right? You can always, you know, try things on, decide it's not for you, um, move on. Um, uh, or sometimes things become more clear over time, or sometimes, you know, life changes. Like, you know, you might have a great plan, but, um, you know, life throws a huge curveball at you. And, you, you know, again, it's about being able to kind of adapt. Um, I think that is, um, is uh, going to be the most powerful thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Adaptability is something that I feel, at least in my experience of medical school as well, um, I've been learning in great uh, ways just going to different institutions and like meeting so many different types of physicians and so many different ways of practicing. Mm. Um, I'm sure it's very important throughout like all phases of your medical career, but yeah, Mm. it's absolutely a part of this part of training too. Right. Every so often, I you know try to like pay attention to like parenting stuff, you know, um, and you know the importance of resilience. And I think that you know that's something that also was like newly appreciated. I don't remember when I was growing up, you know, or you know even you know up until maybe ten years ago, ever hearing anything about resilience and that. Um, you know, I think that you know resilience and adaptability are kind of hand in hand, right? Like being able to like to you know change and evolve um, and learn from your mistakes and you know, identify where um, there are opportunities are really important, um, um, you know, for both growing up into, um, you know, a successful human being and also to, you know, to uh, fostering a successful career. Mm. How do you think we can contribute to cultivating resilience in, um, I guess, in the, the school-aged human? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I I don't think there's any easy answer, right? (laughs) Yeah, the backlash against, you know, trophies for everybody just for showing up, you know. Um, But, you know, really, you you know, getting, you know, your kids and yourself to understand that, you know, sometimes things are a struggle and, you know, and, you know, hard work is involved for almost everything that's meaningful, and, you know, Absolutely. trying, yeah, I mean, yeah, but how do we do that? How do we, like, ingrain ourselves with that grit? Um, I would love to know, um, especially, you know, given I have a kid who, like, the minute something gets tough, he, you know, wants to drop it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'll do some reading and see if I can find an answer. <laughs> <laughs> probably will not, but the existential questions of life are more complicated, but... Um, what other piece of advice do you have for a woman who's considering her career in medicine? Um, I, yeah, I don't know if there's anything different for men or women, but, you know, just like, you know, you know, again, this idea of like trying to, um, really define your, your dreams and aspirations over time and like, you know, kind of, you know, and it's an iterative process. Um, uh, and because it's really hard to say, oh, I want to do that. When you don't know what that is, you know, that was my issue when, you know, I had no idea that you know, being a physician would be like what it is. Um, uh, if there was, there's no um, model for that when I was growing up, I, you know, it was, a lot of it was very surprising to me. <laughs> like, you know, not what I had pictured in my mind. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just you know, remembering that, um, you know, that it's a process um, and it requires um, re-examination um, and testing and, um, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, redefinition. Yeah. If you were looking back at your young person deciding to choose medicine, is there anything that you would tell them about what it is like being a physician? Um, 
yeah, there's, you know, just like the amount of tedium that there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not very glamorous. It's hard work. Um, you know, a lot of it's hard work. A lot of it is not very rewarding in the moment. Um, but it's kind of trying to keep your eye on the prize. And it's a, it's a privilege, um, but it's not for everybody. Um, you know, and, you know, so I think that, you know, being honest with yourself about what you're willing to do and what you're really not willing to do is, is really important, um, you know, for anything. Um, because, you know, you know, all the uh, people that are going to be listening to this are really smart and, you know, um, and, you know, really promising and could probably do anything and be successful. It's just a matter of figuring out what that might be. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming and for sharing all your thoughts. This has totally been a great conversation and I know we'll definitely inform the people that are listening. So I just really appreciate it. Oh, Carrie, you have been like, you know, a total inspiration to us all. Thank you so much, Dr. Ho, for coming to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. What a fun opportunity for us to examine the lifestyle that comes with choosing a highly academic career. I hope that for all the listeners out there, this provided you just another perspective on some of the options that are available to you as a woman in medicine, as well as the challenges and really blessings that you will face on this path. So I'm so excited that you all have continued to tune in to the end of this season of Essential Wisdom. I hope that you'll tune in again with us later this week for our final episode of Essential Wisdom. It will be a bit about my story as well as a wrap up of all the things that we have been able to learn from these amazing female mentors over this podcast. So thank you for tuning in. Please check out the website, Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Physicians, Dot com. See you again next time.